What's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapid with Refum. I'm your host, Keith Perkelheimer. So today, I have the pleasure of welcoming hobbyist Paul Baladesano to the show. And uh, welcome, Paul. How you doing? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. So Paul's 125-gallon reef tank was started in 1971. So uh, the tank, not the tank itself, right? But the uh, there's some critters in there that are 51 years old. I got no. that right. Is it the tank? No. Unless they're bacteria, is 51 years old. No, <laughs> the tank was started in 1971 in a 40 gallon tank. Right. Because this size tank was was very big for 1971. Plus, I couldn't afford it. Right. Uh, it was started in a 40 gallon, then it moved to a 100 gallon, and it was in the 100 gallon for 40 years. And then I moved here five years ago. The 100 gallon was built into the wall and it was all scratched. So I, I bought this one on the way here. I put everything in, a, in vats in a truck and I moved it here. And I went out in the back and I collected seawater. And the cop chased me away. So that tank stood half empty for a, about a month or so. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to get into the whole, uh, whole history of this stuff. And I, I know a lot of um, folks uh, know you, uh, Paul, but in case they don't, Paul is... 73 years old and has been keeping fish since he was able to speak his dad had a uh, seafood market so he was around fish all his life it's in his blood at 18 he was drafted and spent a year in the jungles of vietnam and cambodia as a sergeant where he was awarded two bronze stars for value thank you uh for your service there paul and uh as soon as he returned in 1971 he started up his current reef tank the glass has been changed three times due to scratches he has uh, two aquarium-related patents, and he wrote a book, The Avant-Garde Marine Aquarist, and 100% of those profits go to MS Research in his wife's name. So we'll, uh, we'll dive into all that stuff. Paul is uh, also an avid diver since 1971. He has his own boat and equipment, and he was a construction electrician in Manhattan for about 48 years. But before we start chatting with Paul, I want to thank the sponsors of the program, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate these companies supporting the live stream. And I really appreciate all you folks that are tuning in. As always, feel free to um, leave your comments and questions in the chat. We'll do my best to uh, to get to everything. I saw that um, somebody had already mentioned that they had a, um, who was it there, a 30-year-old reef tank that... Um, uh, right, Reef Keeper had a, had, just had to break down his 30-year-old reef tank. The silicone finally gave up and started leaking. So, um, man, that's got me beat by many, many, many years. So, that would be horrible. <laughs> so, hold up. So, Paul, um, talk to us about uh, – so you started getting into the history of the uh, this 51-year-old reef tank, and, and uh, you started as a 40-gallon tank. How um, – how how did you start the tank up? I mean, there wasn't a lot of information out there in terms of reef keeping, and and uh, where did you go to try to research this and and uh, come up with a uh, a plan of attack in terms of the equipment to use for this tank? Well, probably no. The hobby started in the United States in 1971. It started in in Germany a little bit before that, but when it started here, there was only one store in New York, Aquarium Stock Company. It was huge. They even sold sea turtles. And they got, all of a sudden, they got blue devils in 1971. And I was one of the first ones to buy the blue devils. So I brought them home, and I, I had no place to put them. 
So I ran to the East River, which is the water that goes past Manhattan, <laughs> and it's probably 25% salt water, the rest is fuel oil. And uh, I, I, put, <laughs> I put this water in the 40-gallon tank that I had catfish in. I threw the catfish in something else. And uh, I didn't have any gravel, so I used the blue stone driveway gravel from my neighbor's yard when he wasn't looking. I took the blue stone and threw it in there. So between the blue stone with the grass and tar in it and everything and the, uh, the water from the East River, I, I don't even think the bacteria lived in there, but, but they did. I would have liked to have seen an ICP test for that tank. Yeah, right. And I put the blue devils in there, and they weren't cheap in those days either. Uh, I don't remember what they were, but I, I'm sure they weren't. And I'm sure they died. And then I probably bought more, and I'm sure they died. But then eventually, I figured out, because I got the book. The only one in a hobby in those days was Robert Strawn. He's the father of saltwater fishkeeping. And he's from the 50s, 40s and 50s. And he said, you got to put copper in there to kill the parasites. In those days, we thought fish just all had white spots on them. Yeah. We didn't know nothing about parasites. And they weren't called, weren't called ick or velvet or uronema or any of that stuff. It was... Uh, he called it white spot disease. Then it became coral fish disease. Then it became udinium. It didn't matter what it was. Copper killed it. I got fruit flies in here. Copper killed everything, but there was no liquid copper. So I went to a scientist. His name was Dr. Miklos. And I said, where are we going to get copper to kill the parasites? He said, pennies. So it was 20 pennies to the gallon. <laughs> those really? days, copper, in those days, pennies were made out of copper. <laughs> now it's probably made out of A-track tape recorders. I don't know what the heck it's made of. And uh, 20 pennies to the gallon. But you couldn't just throw the pennies in there because then they would lay down and, and the copper wouldn't dissolve off the back. You had to put them like upright in like a spring or something, which I did. And the spring rusted like hell, of course. But anyway, you put the pennies in there, 20 pennies to the gallon. And in, in a day or so, if the fish were laying on so you take out like five cents. And if they were dying in the spots, you put more pennies in there. Oh, no so test you, kits, don't forget. You had so eight. So you had you had tricky. eight. You had eight hundred pennies in this tank. You had to take pennies in, take them out, take them in, clean them, put them back in. Now it's simple to keep fish. You got the test kit. You put the drops in, no problem at all. But in those days, it was pennies and it was East River water. It wasn't easy. <laughs> there was no salt, no artificial salt available that I know of, except for Lampid K's Marine Magic. It was probably table salt. I don't know what the heck it was. Uh, and I couldn't afford it anyway. So I got East River water. Worked good. Then after, eventually, I got those uh, blue devils where they wouldn't get parasites anymore. And that was from black worms, from feeding them black worms. I learned that years and years ago. Huh. And uh, up to this day, I don't have any problem with parasites. Bert, I put parasites in there purposely, actually. Bert Menchu says, back in the day, everybody started with blue devils. I had an undulated trigger that after a year decided to eat seven in one night. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there was there was Blue Devils, there was Sergeant Majors and Dominoes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And then and I was just looking through my my log book from nineteen seventy one. You I still got the, you still have the log book. I have I have it up to about nineteen ninety something, where it where it started on a computer. Like uh, computers didn't go on the internet in those days. They were just like typewriters. Yeah. Um there, don't forget, there was no computers or cell phones or anything in those days, so there was no information about salt water, nothing. And uh, until Albert Thiel came out a little, a few years after me, and he didn't know anything about it either in those days. Right. But uh, Robert Strawn was the only one. He wrote the Bible. So that's kind of how you uh, were um, 
you know, gathering the information and, and trying to figure out how to keep a reef tank was through reading those initial books. Yeah, well, it was, don't forget, it was no reef. It was just fish. And there was no rocks. They didn't sell rocks for salt water, live rock or dead rock. So we used to put dead coral skeletons in the tank. And you, you had to get that in furniture stores because they used it in furniture stores. They put it on a table or something to sell the table. And right. you'd go to try to buy the piece of coral, which cost more than the table. Right. So this, was, this, was this was like a fish only tank then what you started with. Yeah, they didn't have no coral in those days. Right. It was not such, there was no live coral in those days. Yeah. It came many, many years later. Live coral came out. So you had this 40-gallon uh, tank. That was the tank you started with. What, um, what happened with that tank? That tank actually was very successful. Eventually, and I was looking in my book here, I had, I had hepatitis tangs in there. I had uh, copper band butterflies, and I had Moorish idols in this 40-gallon oh, wow. Really? They were one of the first fish imported for some stupid reason. And, and I'm, you, <laughs> you couldn't keep them alive. Because I was going to say, they're not hardy. No. No, I had one in here for five years, but no, they're not, they're not hardy. And the only food you had, you didn't have any saltwater food. You had tetramin, which is probably made out of uh, crushed flies or something in those days. That, that, right. that was it. You had some pellets that you fed freshwater fish, and you had tetramin flakes. There was no saltwater fish, so I was collecting worms, you know, earthworms. And uh, you could get black worms because I was raising discus, so you could get black worms in those days, which worked very well. But there was no such thing as saltwater. Fish, there was no such thing as saltwater lights, pumps, heaters, anything. Right. So the light on top of the tank was made for fresh water. It was aluminum. It was made for fresh water. An electrician. There was no GFCIs. So turning on the light, the light was an adventure. You had to stand back <laughs> and turn it on with a stick. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so you put your hand in it when anything was on. When you want to get, you want to get a shock of your life. Yeah, and I did many times. <laughs> there was no, there was no powerheads. There was nothing like that. Yeah, you know, everything was made for fresh water, and everything was made out of like iron. Right. So, you know, there was no salt water. Anything. It was, yep. a, it was interesting doing salt water in those days. All trial and error. So, um, what happened to the forty-gallon tank? It eventually got too scratched up, and you had to. Um... Well, the, what happened to the forty-gallon tank? I was twenty-one. I just got back from Vietnam, and. Uh, I moved. I got married <laughs> and I moved from that house and, and the 40 gallon tank came with me. I brought it to my new house and put everything in bats and everything. But then it was too small for my Moorish Idol and my copper band yeah. butterfly and everything I stupidly put in that tank. So then I bought a 100 gallon tank. My wife probably bought it to me. I don't remember. And that was a six foot long tank and I built it in a wall with my new house and that stayed there for 40 years. Well, wow. eventually corals came out and, uh, you know, all of that stuff. The tank always had a reverse on the gravel filter because that's we had on the gravel filters in fresh water in those days and and everybody came from fresh water so that's what we used there was no live sand and deep sand beds and none of that stuff yeah and there was no salt water gravel right but i always had a uh, reverse on the gravel filter which it still has so you it still have the under gravel filter in that tank behind you yes that's one of the secrets there's five secrets that's one that's that's one secret is the under gravel filter. Revert it has to be reverse. Reverse under gravel if you filter. Run it regular like we did in fresh water, it'll crash in about eight months. It, it was, that's the way I started it, and it was it was terrible. So how how old is that that uh, current sand bed then? That's from 70, 1971. That sand is still the sand you had from seventy one. I mean, there's more of it in there because right. it was a twenty gallon tank, and you know there wasn't that much sand. But that's dolomite. 
So there's still like some of that crushed um, stay mat or whatever you use for driveways in that tank? <laughs> dip, dip, dip. No, I don't think there's any of that in there. <laughs> no, that, that I dumped. The, the okay. first year the tank went through some changes like with the, the gravel and, <clears throat> and I, the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, East River water wasn't the best. So I started going more east and collecting water in Long Island. Then, then they came out with Eastern Ocean. But I was using tap water, of course. There was no reverse osmosis or any of that stuff. I was just right. tap water. Right. Did you ever get any looks from people like, what are you collecting water from the East River for? I still get looks over here. Like I told you, I, when I collected water when I when I moved here, and the police chased me away. They must have thought I was dumping toxic waste in the in the water. Oh, so you're know. you're like by the uh, the shore there uh, with your five gallon buckets g gathering seawater yeah. for a water change, and the cops like. Yeah. Like, yeah, because I backed up to a, a boat ramp <laughs> with a big truck. The cop says, what are you doing? And I says, I'm taking water for the fish tank. He says, you got a boat? I says, yeah, but it's it's not here. It's, you know, someplace else. He says, you got to have a boat. I says, are you kidding me? I'm taking water. I'm not, you know, I'm doing anything. He says, there's no argument. Get out of here. <laughs> so this tank sat about three quarters full. I couldn't get water. And then I snuck around and found another place where I could I was going to say, I'm, I'm sure there were plenty of other spots where you could have uh, snuck in and, and, you know, grabbed I, some I, water. Eventually I did. Yeah, is that like yeah. a law or something? You can't take water from the ocean or something? No, you can. You just... You need a permit? Can't. Now I have a permit. Not, not to take water. I have a permit to drive on the beach now. I didn't have a permit. You know, got to drive on the beach. You need a permit. Right. Now I, you know, now I'm a resident. I, I have that. And when I first moved out, I wasn't really a resident yet. So I couldn't get a permit. But right. Now I do. Right, right. Um... So yeah, all right. What so what what um and so now you had the hundred gallon tank for forty some odd years. What happened to that tank? I moved. You moved again. <laughs> yeah. That usually does yeah. it in terms of uh, having to get another yeah, tank. Yeah, me, me and my wife downsized. Uh, we like I said, we lived there for forty years. You know, it was a mother daughter house. My mother in law died. My daughter got married, so I didn't need such a big house. So we moved here to this condo. And uh, like I said, my wife has MS. She doesn't do stairs or anything so this place has no stairs we moved here and it's and i have this man cave down here uh with the tank so it, it and the ocean's behind me so it worked out very good <laughs> it's really the long island sound but it's 27 miles across here so it's basically the ocean yeah no it um i i i um grew up in westchester uh, county and i was um i did a lot of fishing on the long island sound off of um the connecticut side you know, off of um, Stanford and uh, and Norwalk, but I think the water is uh, I think the water is a little cleaner on the uh, on the north uh, shore of Long Island versus uh, the uh, probably better than Stanford. You got a lot more boat traffic over there. Yeah, yeah. I did most of my scuba diving on that side of the sound, but uh, the water I collect off this is basically the Atlantic Ocean here. It's, it's very big. The water is usually very clear. Uh, if it's a, a very rough day, I have to filter it. You know, because I'm taking it right from the surf, and it's got it's got seaweed in it. You know, and, and so usually you, what I do, I, I throw a bilge pump in the water, and it pumps it into my into my jeep, and it's got all kinds of garbage in it. You know, how much? Uh, so, so how much do you collect at a time now? Forty gallons. Wow, forty gallons. You're doing forty gallon water changes. How often? Maybe four or five times a year. Uh, okay, so not uh, you're not doing like weekly water changes or anything like that. Oh, God forbid, no. I would never be in the hot. And I know there's crazy people that do that, no. Yeah, that would, I, I, that would, that would be me. <laughs> no, 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 no. As a matter of fact... Uh, What's your philosophy on that, Paul? 
my philosophy on that, and, and I didn't invent this, it was Guido Huxted. He wrote a book on the, you know, water chemistry for the advanced Aquarius. And he says, and I believe that water actually gets better the longer it stays in up to a point. I mean, you can't leave it in there forever, but these people that change water every day or every week, it's not that healthy because, and you could tell because if you set up a brand new tank with all the water, it's terrible. It looks terrible. The fish are horrible. Everything's getting sick and everything. New water is not the best thing in the world. Um, that's like even when, you know, when you had fresh water tanks, you put tap water in there. It was no good. You had to let it sit there for a yeah. week before you use it. Soil water is the same thing. It, it gets benefits that we can't test. Things from algae and, uh, and the rock and the meteorites and everything else that goes in the ocean. It, it, for some reason, it imparts help, health to the water that new water doesn't have. And don't forget, a lot of people use artificial seawater. It's not real seawater. It's fake water. Yeah. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of things in there we can't test for that maybe the fish need. So I think people are changing too much water. So um, Bert Minshew is, uh, is, is making a, well, a question and a, and a comment. Um, wondering what your parameters, <clears throat> your parameters are right now, your key parameters. So what, what do you, what are you keeping like the um, specific fact, gravity at? And as a matter of fact, I never tested them. <clears throat> I tested it today just for this interview because I knew somebody was going <laughs> to ask that about an hour ago. I took out these test kits. If they're any good, I don't know. The salinity is low. Right now, it's probably 23, something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. 22, 23. The water in the sound, a lot of times it's 19, 18. Sometimes you could put kissing garamis in it. It's so low. Uh, the nitrate is 20. Wow. Phosphate is 0 0.25, and the calcium is 480. But I, I only test it maybe twice a year. I very rarely test it. Good for you, man. What um, I, uh, yeah, I think that's, um, I, I, for years, I had only been testing um, you know, nitrate, um, alkalinity, calcium, and, uh, every now and then magnesium. I never tested, um, for phosphate, but, um, now these days I'm doing ICP tests and, 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 uh, you know, so I, I, I've kind of like changed my tune in, in terms of testing. And I've also got an automated alkalinity, uh, tester and I'm testing twice a day with that, but I got a SPS dominant, uh, systems. And uh, the other comment that Bert was, uh, that that he made was that uh, looks like there's no SPS, so we, you're not probably too worried about your uh, um, some of your key parameters. But there's a reason why you don't have any SPS, right, Paul? Yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I told you before, the tank used to be all SPS. Oh, it did. It was. I don't particularly like SPS. I like the the soft corals better and the LPS because I like the movement and everything. But, you know, in the beginning, everybody had to have SPS. It was a, it was a big deal. And that's what was in there. It was a lot of Acropora. It was covering everything. Um, but then I, I stupidly, about 10 years ago, I bought this photosynthetic sponge. And the guy says, oh, try this sponge. It's really cool. You know, it grows on light and everything. I said, all right, I put a little piece in there. Now it completely covered the tank and I can't get rid of the damn stuff. It looks like... <laughs> You can't see it from there, but it looks like um, Montipora. It looks like a blue Montipora. It's kind of nice looking, but it's invasive. And and the problem with being invasive is it grows like ears, like like Montipora. But when you cut a sponge, it oozes like a white liquid when you cut it and kills the SPS. Who knew? 
<laughs> so does that was that killing the SPS right adjacent to where you cut it, or that uh, no, that milky stuff kind of got into the whole thing? I was only cutting the sponge a little at a time, and it wasn't really hurting too much. But I noticed some of my SPSs weren't looking that good. So then one day my my friend came over next door, and and I said, "Let's get, cut all of this as much as we can out of here." And we cut, we must have cut out two or three pounds of this stuff and threw it away. And immediately, two things happened. Immediately, the SPS got this film on it and next day died. Wow. And, and all of, there's a million brittle stars in there. All of the brittle stars climbed all the way up on top of the tank, thousands of them, and they spawned. Wow. <laughs> Holy smoke. So now you got like tons of brittle stars. <laughs> thousands of brittle stars. They all spawned. I, I don't know if they don't like the toxic from the coral or they like it. Maybe it's an aphrodisiac. But there you go. <laughs> got them in the mood. <laughs> I, I don't know. No. But, uh, it, it kills SPS, and I can't get rid of the sponge. The only way I can get rid of that sponge is if I take everything out of that tank and soak everything in bleach, which at my age, I'm not doing that. This is this is the last time I'm going to That's That's going to be it. I consider it a success. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But I, I can live with the sponge as long as I only put in, like, leathers and gorgonians and uh, things like that, which I kind of like anyway. So that's why there's no SPS in there now. Up until about a year ago, there was. Well, I'll tell you, man, it's, um, it's kind of refreshing to, to see a tank like that, you know, that, um, is, is so, sort of like au natural and you're just, um, you're kind of like letting nature take its course and, and, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, so what that you can't have SPS in there? I, I mean, I don't think you're the type that's going to do a, a tank reboot, right? You're not, uh, you're not up for that. And, and it doesn't mean anything to me. I, I'm now in my life, I'm more interested in the health of the fish. There's a fish in there 30 years old, a fire clown, and his mate is about 27. And almost all the fish in there die of old age. They never get, I've never, I don't quarantine, I don't medicate. I, I think that's a big problem. And I could explain that later. But, and everything in there is spawning. The mandarins are spawning, the ruby red dragonettes, the blue striped pipefish, uh, the, 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 the 30-year-old fire clowns, the six-line wrasses, everything in that tank that can spawn is spawning. And that's the sign of a healthy fish because all fish in the ocean, female fish, are pregnant. Every one of them is, is filled really? with if every fish. Yes. Fish are constantly pregnant. Whether there's a good looking male there or an ugly male, doesn't matter. Fish are constantly pregnant. And uh, the fish develops eggs only if they're healthy. I mean, that's how you get the caviar and all of that. You know, the, the female fish get eggs. And if there's no male and if they don't uh, have a chance to lay the eggs, they either reabsorb them or they just lay them and they, and they just rot. But every healthy fish is full of eggs, every healthy female fish. And if it's not, it's not healthy because it takes a lot of energy for a fish to develop those eggs. Because as you know, a pregnant fish could be, uh, the eggs could be like a quarter of the weight of the fish. You know, they get really get full of eggs. And, and those eggs are mostly oil. And it takes a lot. It ain't going to happen on flake food. It takes a lot of energy for fish to develop eggs. But only healthy fish can do that. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about, um, you know, doing any uh, breeding or is that just uh, not your thing? It was. It Many was. years ago, uh, I raised uh, Bangai uh, Cardinals and uh, Blue Devils and Seahorses. I think that's about it. Because, it, as you know, it's a pain in the neck. 
and I don't have the room here. I have never, uh, I have never done it. I just don't have the bandwidth for that stuff. But uh, kudos to all the folks out there that that do have the I'm patience. And, and I'm jealous. There's a guy out there yeah, raising, so. raising orange spotted file fish, and I can't even keep the damn things. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me uh, let me show a uh, a video, a, a quick video. We could keep talking about it. Um, Paul shot a. Um, well, first of all, here's a great picture of Paul in, in front of his tank. A nice uh, still shot that I grabbed. That's I grabbed right. from the internet there, and and uh, I thought that was a great uh, shot of you in front of your tank. But let me uh, let's run the uh, the video of the uh, of the tank, and you kind of like get a, a feel for um, all the different uh, critters you have in that tank. And uh, there, there's a lot of stuff floating around. Did you just feed the tank when you were taking this video? And I see a file yes. fish. The, yes. The reason I <laughs> I fed them is because there's about 30 fish in there, but probably 20 of them you'll never see. Them. Dude, there's some organisms in there. I don't even know what these critters are. I mean, <laughs> well, this fish in there I haven't seen in, in a year or two. I had a I had a brutaloid eel in there once for 18 years. I didn't even know I had him. I, I took out everything and I found him in the bucket. He was dead. I didn't know he was still in there. 18 years. I almost never saw that thing. 18 years. 18 and... years, like a yellow eel, about six inches long. I would see him like in a with a flashlight in the back of the tank every once in a while, but I never saw him out in the open in 18 years. And then I thought he was dead. I took the rocks out of the tank to clean the undergravel or something, and he was in the bucket all night, and he died. I didn't even know I had him. Oh, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. So, hold on. What's the, uh, what's the oldest piece of coral you got in that tank, and what's the oldest fish? Do you know? The oldest fish is the fire clown. He's uh, about 30. And it's, <laughs> 30 years old. Yeah, he's about 30. I lost that's his sick. Brother, but he's about 30. And his mate is a, a couple of years younger. But usually, like I said, I... I Generally, the fish die of old age. The hippo tangs live about 10 years. The copper bands live about 10 years. I mean, their lifespan may be longer, but it seems like after 10 years, they get some neurological thing or something and they, and they die. So, um, there is some fish in there. Um, there's, there's a few things in there maybe 10 years old. The mandarins live about 10 years. Um, that's incredible, man. I... Um... I've only, I think the longest I've ever kept a tank was probably seven or eight years. Might, might've been the longest I've ever kept a tank before breaking it down because of a move or, or just needing uh, to take a break from the hobby. So, um, I, I just can't wrap my head around, um, you know, 40 years, that one tank you said, 41 years was up. And oh, the fish is 30 years old. Right. I think he's, the, I think he's 30. The 30. tank was set up for 40 years. But I, I would have taken it with me, but I built it in a wall. It was all scratched anyway. You know, I didn't, I, yeah. I didn't make it. Um, all right. So we got we got some comments and some, some questions for there some uh, hermit crabs in there for 10 years, too. They lived 10 years. A ten. pair of hermit crabs. Nice. Um, so a couple of uh, questions, comments, and, and folks, yeah, keep the uh, keep the questions coming there. This is uh, this is great stuff. Um uh, bot zz28 i can tell paul is from brooklyn or staten island new york because i have the same accent laugh out loud which um brooklyn. <laughs> brooklyn question is which local fish stores does he shop at around his area there are not many near me i go to uh, pop corals and pieces of the ocean um where do you go for the, lfs the two of them the two of them there's none out here uh, they're about uh i don't know 15 miles away. Country Critters, I think, is one. I've been there. It, the, the two of them are on one, one twelve. Um, I forgot what the other one is called. Um, it's, uh, something Hut. Um, 
Aqua Hut, I think he's called. That sounds familiar. They're on. He's in. He's one of them's in Patchogue, and one of them is all the way down one twelve the other way, which I guess would be. Uh, I don't know what the heck that's called. But it's a, it's the very end of uh, 112 on the on the north side. The, the place is uh, I don't know how to say it. Interesting. He's been there for 50 years. The guy Don. He's he had that store going for 50 years. I used to go there 50 years ago. Wow. And uh, he he doesn't have many corals, but he, he gets interesting fish because he he transships them himself. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other place it's much much cleaner. But he doesn't get any interesting stuff. You know, he gets the run of a mill, run of the mills. I like to, like, I'll buy a fish if I find a weird. There is one in here. Uh, it looks like some kind of a tasseled filefish. Really cool fish. I got it a couple of weeks ago. But you don't find weird fish like that. You just lately, you, you know, I guess they stopped taking them from the Caribbean. It's very hard to get pipefish. You just don't find anything weird anymore. You get angels, tangs, you know, six line wrasses and. Hippo tangs, that's all common stuff that, you know, after so many years, it doesn't interest you anymore. How many of them can you have? You know? I'm, um, not a, I'm not a tang guy anyway. There is one in there, but. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, oh, that's interesting. So, so you don't have a lot of tangs. I mean, um, I know a lot of people, a lot of people like like to have them as a, like a, you know, utility fish in terms of keeping algae in control, but. Well, yeah, you know what it is? If, if you dive, tangs are the most common fish on the reef. You jump in the water, you get, you're surrounded by 10,000 tangs. They're very common fish. And I, I, I just find them too boring, it, except for the hippo tang. I like those. They, I like the color on those. And, and they swim around like a naso tang. Fish schools, and they're very, very common yeah. on the reef, maybe not the fish tank. And they get too big. Yes, they do. So they, um yeah, I don't find it interesting. They don't have a mind of their own. They have to follow the fish in front of them, and you know, and that's that's why people call tangs ick magnets. You know, they're, they're supposedly they get so much ick. It's it's because of the way the fish was designed. That fish is not designed to think on its own. It's designed to follow a school. Everything they do is is in a school. Interesting. And they get they get very uh, stressed in a tank because they have to think on their own, and they can't. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to read the fish's mind. Of course, I I can't. But from diving, you could see you never see a tang by himself. They right. get eaten by a mora eel shark or something like that. And they, they got to be very, very stressed in a tank by themselves. Two or three fish doesn't make it. They want to live with a thousand fish. And you also got to be careful with tangs, too, because there's a, a certain pecking order. I mean, I've, I've, um, right. I've introduced a bunch of tangs together at the same time, and, and they've been fine. And then all of a sudden, like years later, like one of the tangs like just decides, all right, I'm going to be the king of the hill, and everybody else is going to like, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, he just dominated everything else. And, and it's just uh, so you never know. But I, I guess the bigger the tank, the less likely that's to right. and, and, and the tang, if you see them in the ocean, they, they'll swim like 100 yards over this way and 100 yards over that way. You know, they're not, they're not comfortable swimming two feet or three feet in the fish tank. It's just not, it's not their thing. Right. And, and I, I, I have another theory about tangs and all skinny fish. Tangs, uh, copper band, well, not so much copper band, but tangs and angels and things. Fish that get HLLE, you know, holding a head disease. Yeah. And my theory is that's the why they're designed so flat like that. They're designed flat like that because their lateral line could be longer on a flat fish. Because if you notice, it goes all the way up and then all the way down. 
And the lateral line is the most important thing on a fish, to a fish, not to us. And that allows them to feel everything around them. A fish could be blind, you still get around the tank, it won't hurt them. And a fish will never crash into the glass, even though they can't see it. Fish can't see that glass from the inside, just like you can't see the glass looking in there. But they'll never crash into the glass, even in the dark, because they can feel it with their lateral line. Oh. Didn't think about that. You (laughs) learn something new every day in this hobby. Well, and if you dive, you'll notice you'll you'll swim over a coral head or anything, and and 100 fish will dive into the coral head, and every one of them will fit into that hole they're going into. None of them will get, they won't get scratched. They won't get halfway in and get stuck or anything like that. If a person tried that, they, you know, they get stuck in everything. Right. But the fish know they can fit in that hole before they get in there. That's from their lateral line. They know everything about their surroundings. And tangs have a problem. That's why they can't keep great white sharks in a tank. Tangs have a problem because they can feel the glass all around them. They can't see it, but they can feel it. They know it's there, and they can feel the bottom of the tank, too. Most tangs don't live in water 12 inches deep. And they can feel all of these things, and it disrupts their uh, lateral line. Because they keep getting these inputs from the lateral line, and that's why HLLE starts. My theory. It doesn't mean it's scientific or anything. <laughs> that's your hypothesis there, huh? Well, you know. It doesn't happen in the, in the ocean. It's only a, it only happens in the tank. Yes. Um, you know, and I, and I thought I, um, I read someplace that it also has something to do possibly with um, some toxins in the water. And if you use activated carbon, that could help. Um, I might be off on that. But um I guess there's a, there's a whole bunch no, that's of, the theory. then there's like carbon is the latest could be extreme voltage too is a possible uh, cause of HL. Yeah, there's everything is the possible theory of it, but uh, everybody has their theory and I have mine. So, um, Paul, <laughs> you mentioned um, under gravel filter. What else do you have going with that tank in terms of equipment at this point in time? What, uh, what, what's the, what's the setup like? Um, there is a five foot DIY skimmer uh five foot, that i put ozone five foot tall it's five foot tall yeah i could i could later on i'll bring a camera over there it's five foot tall uh, i made it i don't know how many years 20 30 years ago i don't know when the heck i made it <laughs> but it's in the back there and um and i inject ozone into it because i just like ozone for the water conditions and it's piped into the sewer so when it overflows it you know it goes into yeah. the drain but I, I like i said i don't like medication or quarantine or anything like that and I also have a uh, homemade algae, scrub, algae scrubber on top of that tank, and it drips into it. The, there's no sump in there. Oh, so no sump. Of, no sump. They didn't have sumps in 1971, so I never used the sump. So the the algae scrubber is a uh, one of those things you make needlepoint data, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, the plastic, um, plastic screen type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's sit on it's on top of the tank, and the water goes on top of it and, and flows into the tank. Uh, because I think algae, like I said before, gives some healthful benefits to the water. So you want algae in the tank. People think algae is a sign of doom. It's not. If there's a tank with absolutely no algae in it, it's not healthy. Because there's algae in the corals too. You know, all corals, as all photosynthetic corals, have algae in it. So if you kill all the algae with like chemicals or something like that, you're going to kill the corals still because, you know, there's, there's algae in the corals. So algae is good. And, and if it wasn't for algae, that's why you have all of these urchins and, uh, and manatees and slugs and chitons and, and, and algae blinis and tangs and, and all these different things in the ocean that eat algae. If there was no algae in the ocean, you wouldn't have all those animals. 
Every ocean has algae. It's healthy. You might not want to see it on your corals. That's why you make a an algae scrubber. Right. Right. You don't put chemicals in there. You make an algae scrubber. Yeah, I uh, I'm a big proponent of um, of not using chemicals to solve to solve any algae problems. I think the good old elbow grease is a uh, is always a great way to go and and uh, a safer way to go. Um, I want to thank Rob upstate New York. Thanks, man, for the uh, for the super chat. The comment is. Here's to old school reefing, baby. Yeah. <laughs> First, you got to get old. <laughs> Your old type, you got to be seventy. <laughs> so you got the um, you got the undergravel uh, reverse undergravel um, filter. You've got the algae scrubber. You've got the fifty inch tall um, protein skimmer. What do you got for lighting? There's three Chinese cheap lights in there. LEDs. There's three LEDs, and a lot of the rock. Is homemade DIY hollow rock. Hollow. It's made out of PVC pipe that you bend up and you put cement on it. No kidding. So that that was that's bent PVC pipe, and you've got um, cement on that, and that's that's your uh, that's your rock. Probably half of that tank is made out of this stuff. Wow. And the reason for that, now I, I scuba dove for, for all of my rock in the beginning, in Hawaii and the Caribbean and everything. And in those days, you could take it home on your lap, on the plane. Right, but you bleached now, it, You bleached it, right? I ble bleached it in the hotel room, and it stunk. And uh, <laughs> then, you, then, then you carried a stinking rock on your lap. Today, they would shoot you. But in yeah. those days, you just pick this stuff up, put it on your lap, you put half it on your wife's lap. <laughs> and uh, and you come home and it smells of bleach and rotten, uh, you know, organisms and it, it stunk like hell. But uh, I brought it all home. The problem with, with rock that you buy, um, when they collect a rock to sell it, they, they collect it in the ocean, they throw it up on these barges and it breaks off all the protrusions and everything. And you end up with bowling balls. You know, you don't have nice looking rocks. And I, and I cringe when I see these people trying to decorate a tank with like six of these rocks that look like uh, potatoes. You yeah. know, there's no there's no protrusions or anything. It's yeah. very hard to, to decorate a tank like that. Looks like a brick and it's, wall. And it's, yeah. it's a brick wall, and it's too uh, thick and solid. You know, the, the, you want live rock. You want you want the organisms to be able to go in there, the air and everything, the oxygen to go in there. This stuff I make is hollow. You know, so there's a pipe inside of it, which is hollow, and it gets filled with organisms. So you got sponges in there and all and, that and other. Is what, everything, which is what you want. You want you know the, the 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 organisms in the tank that are that are purifying the water need surfaces to to grow on. Yeah. And if you put a bowling ball in it, they can only grow on the outside. The more surface area, the better. This stuff is very easy to make. It's 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 practically free to make. I mean, this piece probably costs two dollars. It's it's very cheap. It takes a little bit of a time because you got to put the cement on and then wait a day and put more cement on. You know. And cement don't stick to PVC, so you got to wrap it with like uh, paper towels or something like that for the cement to stick to. What uh, so did did any of that rock in that tank was any of that rock actual live rock or um, was it all dead rock that turned into live rock? <laughs> some of it, some of it was live asphalt. <laughs> live asphalt? <laughs> you kidding me, man? <laughs> no. There's asphalt in that tank. Yep. <laughs> Whoa. I don't recommend asphalt. Okay. <laughs> but don't That's forget. That's the first I've ever heard of that. No. And you know, well, when you grew up, you said you were on the North Shore someplace. 
in Westchester uh, County, but I used to go. Uh, I used to go off of like when they made breakwaters. Yeah, when they made breakwaters in places like that, they threw construction rubble in the water, along with asphalt and you know cinder blocks. Oh, okay, and everything. so you that's, just pulled it out. You just pulled it out of the water. Yes, and if the asphalt was in the water like 50, 60 years, okay, it's okay because it you know it's made out of oil. So you didn't use fresh asphalt. No, 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 no. That won't. <laughs> no, that won't work. Especially if it's got the line painted on it in the middle of the road. No, the asphalt I used was in the water for at least fifty years. Okay. And it, you know, there's no toxins. That's in it, better. But it, and it's very porous, and it's loaded with amphiparts. <laughs> no, don't rip up the roads or anything like that. There's still some of it in there. Get the jackhammer out. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, there's not much of it in there. Have you ever regretted anything that you've collected? Um, seawater and uh, asphalt rock or anything else that uh, you put in your tank? Not, not that stuff that I could think of. I, I have regretted maybe putting eels in there, you know, local eels because they get huge. Sea robins. Oh, you put you put local uh, eels from the from the Long Island yeah, Sound. Anything. I'll throw anything in it. <laughs> little, little eels, you get them this big. You know, who knows? They grow like a foot a year. They wow. get you, you got to try to catch them and. Uh, I, I found some blue claw crabs in there, you know, the kind you eat that went in there by accident that you have to catch. Um, sea robins, you know, you put an inch sea robin and it gets this big in a year. You had sea robins in that tank? Not now, but I used to. And many times, the little sea robins are really cute. They have purple fins and everything. Yes, they are. They could be uh, real pesky, though, if you're a fisherman. You leave everything in the tank. Yeah. Um, flounders. <laughs> I've seen flounders in uh, in reef tanks before. Those are cool. Yeah, you can get a, you know you can catch them an inch long. They're cool, yeah. but they they get very big. But no, that stuff I don't do anymore. I don't put that in there. What about anymore. horseshoe crab? Oh, there's been a lot of horseshoe crabs in there because I found a space a place out here in the sound where they they breed, and you could get thousands of them, like a quarter inch long or yeah. as big as a nickel, a dimer. They put them in there for a couple of months and then I put them back in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. They're not they're not made for a, a reef tank. Um. So. Um, I want to get back to the equipment list there, but Mike Hoppe asked a question. Um, what uh, does Paul think the biggest change has been in the hobby in his 51 years? Well, the biggest change is probably LED lights. But I, I, I think, and I'm going to get a lot of backlash for this. I think one of the biggest problems in the hobby now is the medication and the quarantine. I think... Medicating fish and quarantining fish is the biggest problem we have why people can't keep tanks. That's why there's no old quarantine tanks that I have ever found. Fully quarantined tank, I have never found a fully quarantined tank in my life. And I've been, I'm on about seven fish sites I've been asking for years. I've never found one. So what do you mean by a fully quarantined tank? You know, people quarantine fish for 74 days. Oh, okay. A, a tank that everything is quarantined in. I have never found a, a very old, 10 years is not old. That's not even the lifespan of a hermit ray. 25 years is, is a mature tank. Because 25 years is the lifespan of a lot of the fish we keep. I mean, tanks could live 25. That stupid fish in there, 30 years old. So if people have a tank five years old. That, that's, that's not a mature, successful tank yet. Because most of our fish live longer than that. So you're not even keeping the fish for their, for their full lifespan. So you can't really call it successful. You know, if you keep a tank six years, that's not a success. That fish could live 30 years. Yeah. I mean, it's good. <laughs> but for, uh, quarantined fish, um, 
there's a problem with quarantine fish. I know everybody's going to hate me, but I believe in parasites and algae. I think algae is our friend. We, we need algae to, to make the tank healthy. And I think we could live with parasites and bacteria and viruses. Because if we, um, if we say kill the parasites, or no, let's say we kill the, uh, say we kill the bacteria in the tank. We put an antibiotic in there and kill the bacteria. The bacteria also kills the parasites. Parasites are preyed on bacteria and viruses. So if you kill one of the things, like a bacteria or virus or a fungus or something like that, the other things could take over and your fish could get a disease that you can't cure. That's why a lot of people put fish in quarantine and then they say they, they'll, they'll put copper on it and then the fish get something else. It'll get a bacterial infection. I mean, you know, they get a bacterial infection. Then they yeah. try to cure the bacterial fungus. They get bin rot or something like that. Then they have to put another, you know, another medication in it to try to, to, try to cure that. I don't believe in all of that. I think it's terrible. I think we're killing a lot of fish like that. I think, and I've been doing this a long time, I think the fish in the ocean are immune to almost everything. They have to be, otherwise they wouldn't be alive. The ocean has everything in it. So I think it's our job to take that fish from the ocean as soon as we can, put it in a tank and start feeding it some, the right food. The right food is not necessarily what comes from an aquarium store. The right food is something with living gut bacteria in it because gut bacteria controls the fish's immunity almost 100%. The stuff we buy in a, in a pet shop could have been in a pet shop for five years. It could have been, and they freeze it in the pet shop yeah. when they first put the stuff. They kill the, the gut bacteria with it, or they irradiate it, which is worse. I know people think that's good that you're killing the parasites, but it's bad. <laughs> it's working against us. We need living bacteria, and the only way you get that is from live worms. What, what was that, live worms? Live worms. What kind of worms? These are live uh, white worms. Okay. Let me see if I can get you a picture of them. Can you see the worms oh, in there? Lovely. Yeah. yeah it, They're yeah, white, I yeah. Don't, I don't eat many of them. Those there. <laughs> yeah, don't eat those. <laughs> no. Those there, um, I used to use black worms. Let's see if I can get my camera back up here. I used to use black worms. I can't get them here. Uh, uh oh, you messed up the camera now, Paul. I can't get black worms here. I like black worms. I can't get them. White worms live in dirt. And uh, they have a lot of bacteria. And they're, very, they're practically free. You buy a $15 uh, culture, and they grow like crazy on, on uh, bread and yogurt. And the wife doesn't mind? You, you're growing worms in the house? I'm married almost 50 years. My wife don't even know we have a fish <laughs> Something I'm going to tell her. <laughs> she hasn't figured yeah. that out. You're in my man cave in a cooler. <laughs> they they got to stay a little cool. But they got good. What about. 99% um, of the people in this hobby don't realize that. You got to have gut bacteria. That's what makes the fishes immune. And it's to make our immunity too, but I don't eat worms. What, what, uh, <laughs> is, is that. Uh, so besides worms, what else do you feed your fish? Shellfish. 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 Clams, mussels, oysters. So you're going to the when, you're going to the supermarket. You're buying a whole bunch of different seafood, and you're kind of chopping it up and making a uh, little well, homemade fish food. Not, not not a lot. I don't want people to think that's all I feed the fish. I feed the fish LRS food or Rod's food or you know regular commercial food. That's my staple. But a couple of times a week, I feed them 
these live worms or, or clams or mussels or something like that. And I bought, you have to buy the, the mussels and clams that people eat, the fresh ones. Yeah. And I bought, I buy chowder clam. You know what chowder clams are, they're big giant clams. Good. And I freeze myself because your home freeze is not going to kill the bacteria. And when you feed a, a clam, you're feeding the whole animal with the guts and the, and the gut bacteria. And, and as I said, the gut bacteria controls almost 100% of the immunity in fish. And we, that's what we want, immune fish. We don't want li fish living on medications to keep them healthy. We want them living on their own immunity. That's why those fish, even the 30-year-olds, have never been medicated or quarantined or anything. And I can throw anything in there. I can throw, I, I have thrown, and I, it's on some of my sites, I've thrown parasite-encrusted uh, little yellow little clown gobies and shrimp fish, and I put a, I put a, copper band in there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many parasites are on it because the fish are immune and they only get immune from gut bacteria. Well, it makes a lot of sense, you know, I mean, and so you've never had any issues in terms of disease with your fish. Not since the first couple of years with the pennies and all of that. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I can imagine that that was kind of, uh, kind of crude back then. Um, so a couple of questions about your fish. Um, Matthew uh, Sporletter is uh, asking about, uh, talk about, Paul, your uh, pipefish. What about them? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean. There's no pipefish in there right now. There's, uh, there's two dragon face pipes, which are my favorite, and there's two uh, blue stripe pipes. How hard are they to keep? As a matter of fact, this was, uh, this was one of my blue stripes I had for, uh, they only live about six years, uh -huh. something like that. Blue stripes have a very uh, short lifespan, and they bred. They they spawned every couple of weeks. The blue stripes. That's awesome. I have pictures on on all of my site. The the uh, the dragon face. You can only put those in a very mature reef tank because they they just hunt pods like a mandarin. Constant. Hunt. They probably eat more pods than a mandarin. So you can't put them in a new tank and like buy pods. I know a lot of people buy pods. That ain't gonna work. You got to have a very old tank that's not really cleaned a lot, like that. <laughs> uh, I, I took I took, put a picture online today of the back of that tank. The back of that tank's got stuff growing on it a half inch thick. It's uh, people would say it's disgusting, but that's why you don't see those fish right now. The the ruby reds and the mandarins and the and the blue stripe pipes they're in the back hunting. And that's where all the stuff is. Yeah, you got a lot of like live uh, chow back there for your uh, critters and yeah, fish. Yeah, you need that. You, you can't like, you know, I see some of these tanks and you could see like, the, you know, it's in the middle of the house and they look beautiful. I'm jealous of a lot of these tanks. You could see the guy's living room and backyard and everything through the tank. The whole tank is nice and clean. It's beautiful, but that's not a healthy tank. It's good for us, but it's not good for the fish. I'd, I'd imagine the biodiversity, the microfauna, you know, you mentioned all the, uh, the, um, the encrusting sponge, the um, sponge that's taken over everything. I mean, there's got to be some, some incredible diversity in that tank. Have you ever done a, um, I think, I think I, we, either, we talked about guest. it. Uh, Your uh, last guest has. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I was going to ask you about the uh, aquabiomics and, um, what uh, what came out of the uh, the test results for the uh, microbiome? Well, he didn't he didn't have, um, like he said, he didn't have a lot of the things about the uh, the, the creatures and the uh, uh, certain bacteria and, and the uh, diseases and everything in those days. Now I think he has it. Right. But it, it it just told you a lot of other things that 
he said this tank it has I think you said it has more diversity than most tanks and things like that like duh makes sense you know, take everything <laughs> from the ocean <laughs> you know and it, like if you lift a rock in this tank it's like the ocean there's all amphipods and everything run out of there and worms and uh, brittle stars you know it's it's life did did anything in that report surprise you no no, mo most of it, I didn't know what it was, but yeah. they're talking, you know, I'm an electrician, I'm not a scientist. So a lot of it went over my head, like the different kinds of bacteria yeah. and, and all of that, 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 but, uh, he says he wants to do it again. I, I have no, no problem with that, but you get the diversity from the reverse on the gravel filter. If you have a bare bottom tank, I don't think you could have the diversity you could maybe after 50 years you can i don't know because it, it would 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 gravel dolomite that's in there you know it's about as big as rice you get life all the way down to the glass on the bottom so an inch and a half or two inches of gravel is full of life all the way down it's, it's full of these little red tube worms and yeah and there's, there's loads of amphipods in there along with the copepods have you ever had any um issues with like old tank syndrome where your tank had been uh you know running for uh, a number of years and all of a sudden you started losing corals. I mean, not, not the SPS corals because of the uh, sponges uh, emitting that, um, that mucus or whatever it was, but had, did, did you ever experience like an old tank syndrome type of thing? No, actually I, I wrote an article about that. No, no, I, I never did. Um, there, there is problems people have with tanks uh, I think you might get that, like if you change the water too much. Like I said, the, the new water is not good. That's why new tanks look terrible. Yeah. Uh, I think a, a big problem with why fish don't live their full lifespan is the aquascape, which sounds stupid, but that tank there, like I said, I made the rock. And if I put a light behind that tank, you could see holes all through the coral, all the way to the back of the tank. And that whole reef structure is raised off the bottom about two inches all over the place. It's, it's hitting the bottom in very few places in that six-foot tank. There's all uh, passageways that go from one end of the tank to the other that the fish could hide. There's a pair of gecko guppies in there I haven't seen in two years. <laughs> <laughs> if I shoot some food in the back, I might see that tail for a second. But that's not good for us. We want to see the fish. But it's not healthy for the fish. And PVC pipe doesn't do it. Like people set up a quarantine tank and they put PVC elbows in there. Fish hate that. If I put a PVC elbow in there, fish won't go near it for a week because it's, it's stock. Freaking them, the, it's freaking the them out. It's freaking them out. If, if they, if they have to set up a quarantine tank, I think a much better thing would be, you know, they sell these bricks in home Depot with the holes in them. There's like three holes in them. They're red bricks, clay bricks. That's much better because the clay brick is inert. It doesn't do anything in the water. It's porous, so it'll grow bacteria and everything else. And it's got much tighter holes that the fish could hide in. PVC elbows, they, they're scared of that stuff. So pile a bunch of bricks in there. Let's, uh, let's do a scenario here, Paul. Let's, let's say, you know, that um, you did not have the tank behind you and you did not have the equipment. So you had none of the critters or the rock or the equipment it's all gone. And I'm not going to like get into all these disaster scenarios in terms of like, uh, you know, something happened to your house or something like that. Let's just say you've got nothing. Right. And, uh, you know, this stuff is in your blood. 
right? You got to keep a reef tank. So if you had to start from scratch, what would that tank look like? How would you start that tank? If I couldn't buy live rock, real live rock, I wouldn't be in the hobby. If I had to start a tank with artificial water and dry rock, I, I would not start this hobby. That's going to be so many problems, which you know, you look at the disease threads and you look at these tanks and you say, that tank looks like it was started Tuesday and the guy's got more <laughs> idols and SPS and, you know, and you know the tank is going to crash. It, it just it can't happen. You can't do that. You can't do that. No, I can't. I can't do it. If I, if I was going to start that tank from scratch, instead of buying $300 controllers and doses and, and all of that stuff, which I don't have any of, I would spend all that money on, on live rock. Because live rock is almost the same as having a mature tank. And I guess live sand, if you could, if you could afford it. I had, I had the guy on from uh, KP Aquatics, and they, uh, they farm live rock in the Florida Keys. And I, I started my, my peninsula tank couple of years ago with that rock and um that tank cycled within a week and it came with like it shipped in water you know and uh it came with like a whole bunch of serpent stars and and pistol shrimp and and crabs and it was awesome right a lot of people don't realize it's the bacteria that run the tank we're just here for the bacteria to make fun of the bacteria is what's running the tank. That's keeping a, that's the bacteria in the fish. Like I said, the gut, the gut bacteria completely controls the fish immunity and the bacteria on the rock completely controls the water conditions. It's not the stuff that people put in there, the bottle bacteria in a bottle and the, uh, whatever else, you know, people you add to the water. It's the bacteria that make the tank healthy. And if you put antibiotics in there, God forbid, that that's forget about it. Then you're, you're going to crash. So, um, all right, there's a bunch of comments and questions I haven't gotten to, and I'm going to try to do my best here. Um, is there going to be hate mail yet? No, I don't think so. Uh, that's the beauty of this hobby here, uh, Paul, is that there is not one uh, cookie-cutter way to run a reef tank. There is a whole bunch of different ways to run it, and uh, it's refreshing to hear uh, your method. And, and uh, you, don't, you don't see that kind of um, style in terms of reef keeping these days, so I think it's yeah, really this, refreshing. This was started many years before the Internet. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Um, Mike Hoppe, does Paul still have gobies living in beer bottles? <laughs> that was beer cans. Beer cans. And, uh, there, I took that beer can out of there because it, there was a, there was an aluminum beer can in there. Uh, I think it was a Coors can. I found it scuba diving, but I encased it in acrylic resin or uh, epoxy resin. It wasn't just an aluminum can. I'm not crazy about aluminum, but there's nine bottles in there. <laughs> really? Yes, there is. Um, yes, there is. I, I, I still have. Yeah. There's, there's nine bottles in the tank. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them I picked up scuba diving. Bottles are natural. I dove all over the world. There's bottles every place. See this thing here? Uh huh. Looks kind of cool, right? Yeah. This is uh That's like art. Dr. Farney's old time tonic. I think it <laughs> says on here. This was probably and, and you can see the top was a cork. Awesome. This was probably from nineteen hundred. Wow. There's, there's nine bottles in there. A lot of them I picked up diving. Uh, the rest of them I built to look old. But if you look in the tank, you probably won't see them because they're encrusted with uh, you know, corals and Coraline and now sponge, 
and everything else. But bottles are very uh, kind of cool. An old bottle like that, not a you know not a new <laughs> milk bottle or anything. And uh, when you put them in there and everything grows on them, they look kind of cool. All over the world, you scuba dive. There's bottles all over the place. Even in the outer islands of Tahiti, there's bottles all over the place. I think they're kind of cool. Yeah. No. Me too. Um, just trying to keep track of some of the questions here in the uh, chat. Um, oh, yeah. Um, BOTZZ28. When is the last time Paul had nuisance algae in his tank? Um, I, I posted a picture online. I had algae in there once. It looked like a, a produce farm. I mean, it was everything was covered in algae. It was, it was horrible. And the reason for that is because I used Long Island Sound water. And, and in those days, I lived much closer to the city, near the Throgs Neck Bridge. Oh, boy. And I collected water from there. And crazy. <laughs> looked like lettuce grown in there. It was, <laughs> it didn't kill anything. The corals and fish were very healthy, just that you couldn't see them. It was covered in algae. I didn't do anything. It, it disappeared eventually. Everything in a reef tank grows in in cycles. A cycle might be a year, might be 10 years, but everything in a reef tank comes in cycles. Most people don't keep a tank long enough to realize that. There's a bunch of cyanos in there now. Cyano. Cyanobacteria. I don't care. It, it comes, it goes. It's 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 not unhealthy. I'm, I'm the same way, man. I, um, I've got some cyano in my tanks. I don't I don't sweat it. You know, if it's not killing corals no. and stuff like that, then uh, I'm no, cool it with it. Mean it. I've had flatworms grow crazy in there, and uh, brapses went crazy, and it goes in cycles, and it, and it disappears. But I did have that uh, nuisance algae in there, and uh, it disappeared. It never came back. I, I don't know what happened. But now I got an algae scrubber, and a lot of algae grows on that, which is what I want. I want if, the, if nothing grows on the algae scrubber, I know there's something wrong. But you want the algae to grow on the algae scrubber, yep. and then you throw it away. Yep. It, did any point in your reef keeping career, did, were you thinking about like taking a break, hanging it up for a little bit? Was that, did that thought ever enter your mind? No. That's, no. It that's is, amazing. It is a pain in the neck, like if I go on a vacation someplace, because, right. um, you know, I got to get somebody to take care of the tank. And I got a lot of, you know, I, I build everything myself. So there's a lot of things in here that no, most people won't know what to do. Uh I did go once on a vacation, and the person I had watching the tank let the water level drop about 11 inches. So everything above that died, all the SPS and everything died. <laughs> what can I do? I mean, they did me a favor, you know. But the whole tank didn't. I'm surprised because the, the water was, like, really um, strong. <laughs> Humble Fish and Reef, love you, Paul. Humble Reef, he... Uh, He's a good friend of mine. He was here uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's me and him are on on the opposite ends of uh, quarantine. Bobby Miller, man, we're gonna have him on next week. So we'll. Uh, are you really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't talk about me, Bobby. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. He just did an article about parasites that fly and all of these things. Yeah. All right, Bobby, okay. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to do the point counterpoint next week there with uh, you versus Paul. We'll, uh, I, I did an interview with him a, a couple months ago. Nice guy. Um, Planet 3D, what's Paul's success with starfish? My success with starfish? Except yeah. for brittle stars, I don't I don't have any starfish. Never tried starfish, huh? Never, uh, <laughs> they never snuck in? Well, yeah, they snuck in. Starfish, and you probably remember when you were young on the north coast there, starfish used to be on everything in the Long Island Sound. They covered... The yeah. rocks, they covered the muscles, they covered everything. 
they're extinct now. Nobody knows why, but they all died. You can't find the starfish any place. You used to go diving, and on your wetsuit, you were covered in starfish, which was cool because you used to feed them to the, uh, what do you call those shrimp that eat nothing but starfish? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the, I mean, the crown of sh thorns you're talking about? No, there's a little shrimp that you could buy that eats nothing oh, but I'm, starfish. I'm thinking a whole different uh, ocean. <laughs> um, uh, I forgot what you call them, but everybody knows what they are. They're pretty. And they used to get the starfish and feed it to them, but they're, they're extinct. No more starfish in the sound. Nobody knows why. Oh, really? Interesting. Huh. Okay. Big on. Um, Bobby said, looking forward to it. Uh, I'm going to talk all kinds of smack about Paul. <laughs> he's talking about next week. Yeah, I know. He, he's, <laughs> he's totally opposite from what I, I do. Blue Reef. But, uh, he's traveling around the country. Blue Reef, time for a sump and at least get gravity float for top off. You don't have a uh, top off? There is a top off. It's a homemade top off. Uh, you can't see it from there. There's a bucket hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Let me see. Can I get it? You got a ceiling. Oh, yeah. All the way in the back, you see a blue bucket. Is that rainwater you got going there? No, but that would be good. No, that. Yeah, how bucket... come you're not using rainwater for top off? I mean, you're using yeah, right? water from the ocean. You should be using rainwater for top off. <laughs> that, that bucket. Um, gets water from an RODI and, it, and it, it gets pumped in there and then it goes through gravity into the tank and there's a there's a float uh, you know float valve on the on the tank it, it uh, it's been running for I don't know how many years no problem so uh, folks yeah definitely um, drop some more questions in the chat and uh, don't forget to hit that like button we only got 43 likes going here and over 100 people watching. So uh, let's get those likes up. Paul, man, you got two patents. Talk to us about the patents. I got two patents. Here's one. <laughs> That's it awesome. about 20 grand, but I made it back. Uh, it's a pain in the neck getting a patent. That I'd imagine is, there's a lot, of, uh, lot of red tape, I bet, right? Yeah, that one is for a Mojano wand. I invented this Mojano wand thing. It, uh, you ever hear a Mojano wand? I have. I think I, I actually might have one. Oh, good. It, uh, it kills Mojanos. I mean, it, it kills Aptasia too, but the Aptasia are a lot faster. You know, they, they go back in the hole. But uh, I experimented many years ago. What I, was <laughs> what I was doing was I was putting light bulbs in the water before LEDs. I was, I was putting light bulbs like uh, melting wax on the wires and everything and sticking light bulbs in the caves and everything in the tank when I first started the tank. And I could turn lights on and be red and green and everything. I thought it was cool. But if a little bit of electricity got in the water, it made these bubbles come up all over the place. Years later, I found out that those bubbles are hydrogen and oxygen. In salt water, electricity makes hydrogen and oxygen. In fresh water, do I have that right? No. In fresh water, makes hydrogen and oxygen. In salt water, makes chlorine and hydrogen. Chlorine gas and hydrogen, if you put electricity, DC electricity through salt water. Who knew? Anyway, so I figured if I put it on a long uh, plastic thing and have a, a stainless steel needle on the end and you touch it to the Mojano anemone, it fills, it turns the water in the anemone into hydrogen gas. Ooh. And the whole thing disintegrates, like in the Godzilla movie when they when they put the gave them the big Alka-Seltzer tablet and the thing yeah. disintegrates, <laughs> and it turns the Mojano into hydrogen gas, and the whole thing just disintegrates and floats to the top. It's cool. So I patented the stupid thing, and, and I got a patent. Well, it can't and be it, so stupid if you got a patent. Yeah, right. <laughs> Even the patent department was surprised they got a patent because they don't know what the heck it was. And uh, I got the patent, 
And then I gave the company away because a kid told me uh, his father had a, a factory in Florida. If I wanted to make, if we want to go into business and everything, I said, no, you go into business. I'll let you have the business. Yeah. And I get royalties. I hold a patent. I get royalties. And he does everything. Nice kid. He does everything with the business. I have nothing to do with it. They're made in Boca Raton in Florida in a hard valve factory. Really? <laughs> the hard valve yeah. factory? They're made in Boca Raton in a hard, because I don't do China. I won't yeah. manufacture anything in China or India or anything like that. I can't get most of the parts in America anymore, but yeah. it is what it is, yeah. uh, unfortunately. But um, the thing is made in a hard valve factory, and I guess when they don't have enough hard valves to make, they, they make this thing. And uh, so he sells it. He does everything. I don't have anything to do with it. I'm the technical guy, I guess. Uh, and I hold a patent, but uh, I don't do much with the business. I don't do anything with the business. But it sells very well. It used to sell on uh, Marine Depot, but they went out of business. Yeah, no, no more. No, and I think it sells now from the people who took over. Bulk Reef Supply. I, I think so. Yeah. Because we ship them out in pallets. And you get them on Amazon, these things. And the, the first patent was a seahorse feeder. And that was sold by um, Seahorse Feeder. A Seahorse Feeder. Uh, that was sold by, um, um, I forgot. Oh, a place that sells brine, brine shrimp direct. Oh, okay. Sold by them. The problem with those, I was making them myself, which was a pain in the neck. And I got a patent, but that patent ran out many, many years ago. So I don't have anybody could build those now. But it was something like I, I, I made this thing here. Did you ever see one of these things here? Uh, I'm not sure I have. <laughs> This is a uh, Mandarin feeder, okay? And a lot of people make these things. Now, I didn't patent this. Anybody could make this. There's a, a, like a very fine mesh on it. You could use a stocking. And uh, it sits on the bottom, of course. And in the top here, you put the newborn brine shrimp. And they go down here. And the, oh, that's um, cool. The, Mandarin, the, the brine shrimp are attracted to the light. So they try to get out of this mesh, and they kind of get stuck through coming through the mesh. So the mandarins sit on this, and they just suck the brine shrimp through all They're not freaked out by the uh, contraption there? They are for the first week or so, but if you leave it in the water and it gets a little color on it, it's... They get used to it. I, I tell you, my, my mandarins spawn constantly. And uh, there's videos of this. All It's called the Paul B. I think it's called the Paul B. Mandarin feeder. They can Google it. It's all over the internet. But I invented that many years ago and anybody could make it. I didn't patent it or anything. But if you see the videos of this, the brine, the, the mandarins and the ruby reds and the, and the blue striped pipefish and everything, they're just sitting on that thing, sucking brine shrimp out of there all day long. That's really cool, man. Um, book. You wrote a book. I wrote this book, I, I don't know, about 12 years ago, something like that, the Avant Garden Marine Aquarius. And I don't, I don't want people to think I'm making any money on this book. I don't make five cents on this book. 100% of the profits go to... Uh, multiple sclerosis research and i publish the receipts on i think i think they're, they're reef to reef i always publish the receipts when they thank me for the for the money i don't make a, a nickel on that book uh it sells very well actually they called me from the amazon that they have to stop cutting down a rainforest because they're you know making twenty books <laughs> so what what can uh it's the inventions that i made what, what can one expect uh when they pick up that book what uh what what how's that book uh well it, i got I, I got since i started when the hobby started people asked me to write a book so it has how the hobby started like i, I okay. explained most of it to you about the gravel and the, and all of that stuff and and my theories on uh 
quarantining and uh, how to feed fish certain things and stuff like that. Um, here's another one of my inventions here. This, this thing here. That's not patented, this invention. No, I only patented those. No, this thing here is, is kind of cool. This thing here, um, this is a brine shrimp hatcher and shell separator that you use to, to get the brine shrimp for that. It's two empty compartments with a trap door in the middle. Yeah, nice. And a, and a black cover. Yep. And on the black side, you put the eggs in the water. And then after a day and a half, they hatch. You open up the, the door. And you put the cover on. And all the shrimp, you put a light over here. And all the shrimp swim over here. And all the shells stay on that side. So nice. then you open up this valve and all the shrimp come out. And all the shells stay in it. That's for mandarins and things, which... Uh, Very cool. Uh, uh, all right, so some more questions from the viewers here. Um, Russell Muldowney, uh, dosing, you dose anything? Yes. Not very often. <laughs> I dose uh, some calcium and some alkalinity, and um, that's about it. So two-part. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it's, you know, I get it in bulk. It's very cheap. A gallon will last me the rest of my life of... Uh, and I do, once in a while, I put some reef iodine in there. I don't think I need it. And once a year, I'll throw a bag of uh, you, uh, you, cut out, you, you cut out, uh, Paul, you put a bag of what in? Epsom salt. Epsom oh, salt, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that's my niece. You got to get the one without the lavender smell and all of that stuff, you know, regular. <laughs> put about a half a bag in there, and then a couple of days later, put another bag in there. That's the mag You can't overdose magnesium because salt water is made out of a lot of magnesium. Um, but I don't, I don't know if you need it or not. There was a chemist online who said to put that in there once in a while. I don't change that much water either, so maybe. Yeah. It yeah. And I do those iron, but you're not going to like this. I got, I got, I got a little container full of rusty nails every once in a while. Really? <laughs> I swear to God. Man, you're living on the edge there, Paul. I'll tell you. I don't know. You got to, you got to throw some, uh, you got to throw some pennies in there too. Now, I mean, is that? No, that's uh, copper. No, I don't need that. But the rusty nails copper. is great. If you dive on a shipwreck, there's iron shipwrecks loaded with corals. I says, I'll throw some rusty nails in there. It, it seems to work. Well, yeah, I would, I would think if you're going to be putting rusty nails in that tank, definitely don't put any more SPS in that tank. That'll uh, probably not be a good combination. Not. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, go crazy if they drop a little, little. It's not going to hurt anything unless it's copper. Right. Um, there's, there's, I was going to say there's one thing we didn't touch on, which is very important: cortisol. Cortisol. Cortisol, the stress hormone. That's that's the reason uh, medication and quarantine kills fish. It, it, it shortens their lifespan a lot. Hmm. We, we have cortisol, and I assume fish have cortisol. It's a stress hormone. We make it in our adrenaline gland. I don't know what fish make it. But uh, what that does is uh, everybody has cortisol, and fish has cortisol all the time. You know, all fish have cortisol. And when fish are stressed, they make more cortisol. Cortisol is good when you have like a little bit of it in the morning, a little bit at night and everything, you know. But if you have it constantly like a fish in quarantine in a PVC elbow or a fish that's not eating the right food, they get constant buildup of cortisol. And cortisol is good because we use it like for our muscles if we have to flee from a, uh, you know, a saber-toothed tiger or something like that. But fish can't flee if they're in a tank, so their body builds up with this cortisol 
And one thing cortisol does in fish is lowers their immunity. It also brings viruses out of remission. It, 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 uh, it thins their bones because the fish uses the calcium in the bones for energy and things like that. And that comes from stress. So if you have, uh, the, the reason it lowers their uh, lifespan is there's a thing we have on our genes called uh, telomeres. There's these little things that are on the end of a chromosome called telomeres. I'm not going to get too complicated, but there's a little thing on the end of a chromosome called a telomere, and it keeps the, the telomere from unraveling. And, and, and the, uh, the, uh, the chromosome, as we age, they, they have to uh, split and, and reproduce. But the telomere on the end doesn't reproduce. Every time it splits, it gets shorter and shorter. The cortisol makes those things shorter prematurely, and that, that controls the lifespan of the fish. So if you have a fish that lives 10 years and you put it in uh, uh, quarantine for two months, you might shorten that fish's lifespan by half. So if the fish is supposed to live 10 years and you bought the fish two years old, his lifespan only be now four years. So that's a big problem that people don't realize when we're medicating and, uh, and uh, quarantining fish, why their lifespan is short. I didn't make that up either, by the way. Um, that was Paul, I put, a, uh, I put a link in the chat for your book because um, so, uh, Mike Hoppe was asking, and, and I think also it'd be great for people to, um, to, to have that link so they could, um, they could pick that up since it's going to, uh, 100% of that's going to MS uh, Research, which is awesome. 100%. Yeah, that's awesome. A um, couple of more questions. Uh, Blue Reef, I would think Paul does not dip new corals so you're not uh you know you're not dipping any new uh corals that are going in your system you know you, you pretty much are saying that you don't care about I don't, parasites i i like parasites you like if parasites, parasites were cute, if parasites were cute like poodles we would keep them as pets but they're ugly so we kill them. <laughs> i like you you that's another thing that i'm gonna get hate mail from I can't see Your you getting hate mail, Paul. I mean, you're a very likable well, guy, so I don't see that happening. Thank you. <laughs> um, parasites, the, the fish need to be in contact with the parasites to stay immune from parasites. That's why open shots. That's why we get shots for measles and, and polio and things like that, because you have to, our body has to stay in contact with these uh, pathogens to stay immune. So I throw fish in there. I don't care how many parasites they have on them. And hopefully some of these parasites are, are alive and well in there. And that's how the fish stay immune to the parasites. If you, if you kill all the parasites, like if you put them in copper or, or quarantine for 70 days, there's no parasites on that fish. So those fish that you have in your tank have no immunity at all. And if you feed them dry foods or 100% food from a pet shop, they have no gut bacteria. So they are totally not immune to anything. That's why we have disease threads on these sites with everybody's got all these diseases. The, the, the fish don't get the disease. We're giving the fish the disease by not allowing its immunity to, to keep the fish safe. That's why there's, hopefully there's parasites in. And what's his name, the, the guy who owns Aquabiomedics? Oh, uh, Dr. Eli Meyer. Okay. He, I'm, I'll, hopefully he'll send me a thing to test my tank to see if there's any any parasite. I just threw five fish in there this week, and and I think I can't see them, the parasites, so I don't know. But I'm hoping some of the parasites are alive and well in there, and they can't get to epic proportions because all the fish are immune. But I'm hoping some of them are trying to 
infiltrate some of the fish every once in a while. So at least the parasites could stay alive. And it's like inoculating the fish like we get COVID shots. It's yeah. keeping the fish's immunity yeah. up far. Makes sense. And so far in 51 years, it's worked. When humble fish came here, and you could ask him next week, I brought him to a filthy fish store. And I says, buy any fish you want in this store. I don't care what disease it has and throw it in my tank. But we couldn't find a fish that we liked to put in. <laughs> we did find a coral we threw it in. There's a big coral in there that we put in there. Any kind of fish with any disease, you could put it in there. It's not going to do anything. So far. Gotcha. <laughs> um, Planet 3D, what critter has hurt you the most? Uh, Zoa, urchin, fox face, bristle worm. I think I know the answer to that. That's that freaking sponge. That sponge is horrible. It's, 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 uh, it's overtaking the tank, which is why I can only keep SPS. I can only keep a lemon. That sponge, and I can't get rid of it. But that's hurt me. To, I mean, I got stung by a rabbit fish once. Oh, my God. Those things are freaking horrible. It just oh, really? Me. I've, I've got um, I've got some rabbit fish in some of my frag tanks, and I I I got I think there's one of my rabbit fish. I think we have a deal because whenever I stick my hand in there to like you know pick out a frag or move a frag or whatever, like he he you know, he stays away from me. So, uh, but that is my big fear in my frag tanks. I you know the yeah. fox face um, do do a great job in terms of the uh, the algae control and stuff like that. But I do he fear getting stung. He didn't sting me on purpose. When I stuck my hand in the tank and he tried to jump out of the tank and he jumped over my hand and landed on my hand. What, ha what happened? <laughs> Instant pain. I mean, it was a little two-inch fit. Instant pain. It was horrible. I couldn't believe it, that stupid little fish. Did, uh, what, you just um, put some ice on or something like that? He or? just touched me. I, I, I don't remember what I put on it, but it was a lot. You, it was you, like you, you weren't ho hospitalized. That's good. No, no. It was like fire coral. You ever get stung by fire coral? It's terrible no, stuff. No, I got stung by everything. It's terrible stuff. I guess the paleothoas is something you really got to watch out for. That stuff can be uh, pretty... Well, that might kill you, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had any of that stuff in your tank? No. Yeah. No, not that I know Really? Of. I mean, I would think you've, you've had everything in that tank. You would think pa I did, I didn't know what... I'm bad with names. So if I did, I didn't know what it was. Because I'm... I'm I was married for like 30 years before I, I remembered my wife's name. I used to call her AU. I'm terrible with names. Bobby's. I'm um, sorry. Go ahead. Bobby was saying. Bobby was saying that was a shady LFS Paul took me to. <laughs> but he loved the prices. He couldn't sell fish for a quarter of those prices. What was the What was the LFS? We uh, we want to name names. Uh, I've seen I've seen some pretty pretty bad. Aqua Hut. I don't want. I, I I retract that statement. I've never been to Aquahut. I have no idea. I saw that in the chat. That was one of the elements. Fifty years. I, I love the guy. Yeah. But but it's you know kind of a dirty place. But I love the guy. Bobby, I thought I was going to be whacked or something. <laughs> he, he took pictures of the prices because Bobby used to sell uh, quarantined fish, and I I just bought some fish from somebody on his site a couple of weeks ago. And I told the guy I'd pay extra for non-quarantined fish. There was, he, he, a, there was a place in um, Queens, and I can't remember. It was a chain store. Was it Fish World? Um, I can't remember. They were, there was a place in Queens. There was a place in Manhattan. It might have been Fish World or something like that. And um, I remember fish my thought. Fishtown USA. Fishtown USA. Fish, I started and, this for the tanks. And they, and they had like the the – Biggest selection of fish you could imagine, and the prices were dirt cheap. Yeah. I started their tanks, their saltwater tanks. Really? In the early 70s. Yeah. 
that's when saltwater first came. I already had saltwater fish, and then they they were getting saltwater fish in Fishtown at the time, and nobody they knew anything about it. So I helped them, you know, put the tanks together. I think I probably put copper in the water or something. I don't remember what I did, but I helped them start their tanks, and they paid me in like filters and diatom filters and stuff like that. So that's something we didn't go over. Diatom filters. Anybody know what a diatom filter is? Uh, yeah, you have one, right? I got uh, five of them. You've got five of them. I got five <laughs> of them in various states of uh, disintegration. This is one of them that's disintegrating. They're a uh, they're made terribly <laughs> horrible. But I wouldn't have my tank without that one. And and if people. The people that are worried about parasites, and I know most people are, not me, but most people are, instead of using copper and things like that, try to get, you got to steal one of these things because they don't make them anymore. Try to get a diatom filter. They'll take everything out of the water up to a millionth of an inch. Parasite is about four times bigger than that. So it'll suck all the parasites out of the water with no medication or anything. So if you put this thing in a tank with some bricks or something like that, you're not going to have any parasites. It's right. much better than medication. Right, so that's a good thing to run if you're having some issues with the tank that you can't explain that uh, perhaps might uh, remove whatever toxins are in the water. That'll take it. won't remove toxins, but it'll remove any parasite. Right. I don't know why people don't use them anymore, except you can't get them, really. They're, they're pretty hard to get. And uh, I used the one, I was using one yesterday. I spoke to you. It was on there. But it wasn't for the parasites. It's because with a reverse on the gravel filter, you have to stir that gravel up two or three times a year because it gets a little clogged. And it gets a lot of detritus in it. So I stir it up a few times a year. And I like to blow out the detritus in the rocks because they get clogged. So, Interesting. How often do you do that with a powerhead you're doing that? I, I do it with the, one of these diatom filters. Oh. I, put a, uh, I put a restriction on the end. You know, I have a long tool with it like a, a squash. The, the rocks and everything. It's amazing the stuff that comes out. Pushing they have typhoons. We don't have typhoons in tanks. So that stuff that gets uh, in the rock, like, you know, not a lot of people have a 50-year-old tank. A lot of stuff gets stuck in those rocks. Yeah. And you blow it in there and the stuff clouds the tank with all the stuff that comes out of there. Yeah. And then I use the diatom filter to suck it. I have about four times a year. When they get yeah. Ambitious. You know, um, I was talking to Mike Pallette. I had, I've had him on um, a couple of times on the show. And, and uh, that was one thing that he, that he said that he does is um, I, I forget how frequently he does it, but he takes a powerhead. might have been every other day. And takes the powerhead and blows the uh, detritus off the rocks, and that's that's something that I have uh, incorporated into my routine. And I, I'm I'm basically just um, allowing my uh, filter socks to uh, to catch that uh, that stuff that's getting blown off in terms of the uh, detritus and, and what have you. But I, yeah, I think that's um, that's definitely a uh, a great idea to do. I I like detritus, just not clogging the rock with a gravel. I want right. it in the back. Right. Just place. For the food chain, you know, if you clean everything out of the tank, you're not going to be able to keep anything alive. Yeah, well, there, there's a, a comment, uh, bot uh, ZZ28, we need to promote more live rock in the hobby. The new huge wave of dry rock is going to chase people out of the hobby with all the problems that come with it. And um, yeah, I, you got to, there's a certain way you got to be able to do it. You just can't start with a sterile um, environment with the dry rock. You got to. Uh, I, I wouldn't be in the hobby. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it. Um, uh, I was going to say, speaking of the uh, diatom filter and gravel and whatnot, uh, Anthony Gust uh, Gustafson, how deep is the gravel bed and how much flow is pushing through it? Do you know? That's an excellent question, actually. That's very important. The gravel bed 
and that tank is only about two or three inches deep, and it's, like I said, it's dolomite. Uh, I think you have to go to Italy and chop up tombstones for that now. I don't know where you get that stuff from now. And there's three tubes. That tank is six feet long. There's three tubes going down in the gravel, and it has to be run very slow. That's a big mistake people make. It has to be run very slow. There's 150 gallons each, each plate is uh, two feet long, two feet by almost two feet, and it's 150 gallons an hour, which is almost nothing. It's just enough to oxygenate. If you run, like a lot of people think you're going to run another gravel filter and run so much water in it, it throws the detritus out of the gravel. It, it works just the opposite of that. If you run a lot of water through there, the, the, the gravel becomes like a filter and all the detritus gets stuck in the gravel. It makes it worse. It, and, and I tried, <laughs> it took me a long time to perfect this, this thing. And it's 150 gallons an hour. It's got to be run very, very slow. Hmm. What's his name? Um, Robert Strong, like I said before, the father of saltwater fish team, he came up with this on the gravel filter idea. That was his idea. He said it's the greatest invention in the world. But he didn't use it the right way because he didn't know anything about bacteria. He didn't think of bacteria. He used the filter as a, as a uh, particle filter. And then after so many months, he would take it all out and wash it out and put it back in. But we didn't have coral in those days, so it was easy. Uh, now, with reefs and you know, coral, you, you can't do that anymore. So you have to run it very slow. But like I said, my last house, it was that, that filter ran in there for 40 years, that underground filter. That, that, is, that is just amazing to me because uh, you would think there's, uh, there's I mean, you know, and, 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 it, and it makes a lot of sense in terms of making sure you have the right amount of flow going through that because if you didn't, I would assume that that thing would be a major detritus trap and, um, you know, it would just be like a ticking time bomb. Yes. And if you run it as a regular on the gravel filter, like we used to do uh, 60 years ago, it is a ticking time bomb. And it would crash. What, uh, all right, so Paul, 51 years as a reef keeper, what uh, would you say your top three tips for, for folks that, uh, you know, want to try to get to the next level of reef keeping? What do what, what, uh, you think are the three most important things in terms of uh, keeping a reef tank? Well, we said to start it with live rock. If you if you start start the tank with dead rock and artificial water, I, I'm I'm pretty sure you're going to fail. It's, I wouldn't know how to do that. So as much live rock as you could put in there, as much natural hiding places as you could put in there. Um, like you see some of these tanks that there's a, an eight foot tank and there's a little island over here and a little island over here and the fish are swimming all. That's very nice to look at. Fish hate that. The fish get in where, where they can't see you. If you could see the fish, it's not a good hiding place. Because if you could see them, they could see you. They don't like that. They need places to get out of the way where you can't see. It. Eventually, they'll come out and you'll see them once in a while. But like right now, there's a, well, the hippo tang is out. But he's been in there for a couple of years. And even here, most of the time, he's, he stays in the, in the rock and he hides. And if you go in the ocean, that's what hippo tangs do. As soon as you go near them, you know, I got the lights on in here and everything, so he's scared. So you have the, the live rock, you have the hiding places all over the place. And the food, the, the very big, like I said before, you have to have gut bacteria in the food, either live worms a couple of times a week or, or shellfish. You get some clams, mussels, something like that. You chop them up. I freeze them and I, and I shave off like paper thin slices and I give it to them. And, and, the, uh, and the gut bacteria will survive the, the uh, being frozen? They'll survive being frozen. Freezer, a freezer doesn't kill your bacteria. If it did, you'd be able to keep fish, you know, stuff frozen forever, but it goes bad eventually. Yeah. 
if you buy frozen food from a fish store, they freeze it a lot colder than you're going to freeze it. And since they could have frozen it five years ago. I mean, they probably don't, but they could. And a lot of it's radiated. You want to get the food fresh. You want to buy the clams live if you can. If you live in Tunisia, you probably can't. Then you got to then you yeah. go to worms. But the live bacteria, the live gut bacteria controls the immunity. So if you want your fish immune so nothing bothers them, you got to give them living gut bacteria from mussels, clams, shellfish, or worms. You can even use earthworms, anything like that. Don't worry about the dirt on the worms. It's good. <laughs> Best thing for the fish. <laughs> so um, I think those are the three main things, the gut bacteria, the aquascape so that you can't see the fish, and, uh, and the live rock. Yeah. I think I, I don't I don't think you should spend your money on doses and 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 all that stuff. I mean, that's nice. Live rock is more important. Algae is not a harbinger of doom. Algae is a good thing. But you've got to make or buy an algae scrubber because you want the algae in there. But the algae is going to remove the things you don't want naturally. And it's going to leave everything in there that you do want. The algae is not going to take out. Uh, I don't know calcium and, and salt and things like that, the algae is only going to take out things that we don't want in that tank. So algae is a good thing to have. We just don't want to grow it on the coral. I think those are the foremost. And, and you need a lot of flow. I mean, there's those fish are surfing in there. <laughs> yeah, well, I saw it when we are running that video that you uh, shot all the when you were feeding them. Yeah, see that? Yeah, yeah. Did you want to show us the uh, the skimmer? Uh, let me see if I can. I think I can. You were gonna if show. You were gonna show us something. I thought it was a I'll skimmer. Show I'll show you something. Can you see the skimmer? I can. Yeah. That is cool. That's, uh, that is awesome. That's about five feet long. Is that made of PVC? Is that what that is? It's PVC, and the top uh, six inches is acrylic. Gotcha. I made that many years ago. Well, and what kind of uh, what kind of skimmer is that? A counter current? Ven uh, Venturi. It's a Venturi. Venturi. Okay. The Venturi is homemade too. That's awesome. And there's some ozone though. I have to put an air pump in there because it's too tall. To... There's an air pump that that you know pumps into the Venturi. And, yeah. And I do use ozone in there. Now here at the back of my tank. See, here's an urchin here. I don't know if you can see it. There's a big urchin. That urchin's yes. been there about twelve years. It looks like your glass is shattered. It does. <laughs> it's like I a actually, little. I actually cleaned that part. <laughs> looks like you got that. some cracks in that glass ball. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all the garbage that's uh, growing on the glass that I like. Yeah. Uh, this is that cool. Uh, um, we call that guy like a. It's like a tasseled file fish, but it's not. It's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Antail file or something like that. Yes, that's really cool. I don't know what he is. And uh, this thing here is the piece that I bought with Humblefish a couple of weeks ago, and I just dumped it in here from that uh, dirty fish store. <laughs> and uh, I can't, here's a bottle. <laughs> uh, there's bottles all over this thing. I think somebody said you got like a sunken treasure in there too. Yeah, I have a, uh, I'll show you the algae scrubber here if I can get to it. And that's a homemade algae scrubber. Everything in here is homemade. <laughs> I, I don't buy a lot. I'm an inventor. I like building things. These are the cheap That's Chinese lights. This beautiful. is beautiful. 
Can you see the algae? The light yeah. is off on yeah. the scrubber now. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, the light is off on it now, but it's just a pipe, and it's uh, the water is you know running down on the. And it's a cheap LED the, uh, bulb you got it's there. It's cheap LEDs. Yeah. And behind this algae scrubber, you probably oh the, the thermometer on the wall is a 1907 Plaza Hotel boiler room. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, be, uh, there's a little container in the back. That's the that's the manifold for the um, on the gravel filter. Okay, we're running back here. That's so cool. That's the, that's the manifold for the uh, underground filter. The water pumps into that manifold and uh, it goes down into the underground filter. That's so cool. That's so cool. That is just beautiful, is man. Beautiful. I um, I really, is, I, I really uh, am very um, jealous of all your uh, do-it-yourself uh, capabilities there. I mean, I, I, I'm a bit of a, uh, you know, I, I, I make some stuff myself, but um, I do not make my own protein skimmer. I can't, uh, I did kind of a um, do-it-yourself uh, refugium, but um, that's not too hard to do. <laughs> well, yeah, Anybody like can that. do that. <laughs> oh, this is my uh, glass uh, cleaner here. This... I once made a do-it-yourself chiller that failed miserably. Oh, I made one too. Yeah, I took I, I I I picked up an old um, water cooler and I thought that the uh, the you know it was like refrigerating water. I thought I could turn it into a chiller, but uh, that that turned out uh, not good. What's that you got? I did, I did that from a a water cooler when I was I used to I had a uh, I had an urchin collecting business. I used to scuba dive for sea urchins. It was called Urchin Search and Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> and to keep the damn things cool. I, I got one of those water office water coolers and I circulated the water through there and everything. And I had so many urchins that I put 25 of them in here one day. I didn't know where to put them. And they all spawned at the same time. And yeah. the tank looked like whipped cream. <laughs> I thought for sure everything was going to die. But nothing died. It was disgusting. Wow. This this thing is my uh, DIY uh, oh, yeah. magnet uh, cleaner. Yeah. You know, it uh, uh-huh. it uh, cleans the algae off of there. Yeah. Be- before I invented the uh, Mojano one, this stupid looking thing here. This thing here's a hypodermic needle. And it's got a string on the end here. And when you pull the string, it injects boiling vinegar in the mojama. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, man. That's uh yeah, all right. Well that's why I invented the Mojano one. This didn't work that good. And here's my bottle of copper. When I used to use copper, this was made in Brooklyn in the 70s. It's still half full. Not so much copper I used in 50 years. <laughs> I never <laughs> used this stuff. I only keep it for nostalgia. It's copper and formalin. Hold on to that, man. You know, it's like, uh, geez, that's, that's, a, that's a relic. But uh, you never know when you're going to need it, though, right? It's nostalgia. You know, I, I, I don't use medications anymore. But, uh, you know, they're here in case, I don't know, in case of something. So, uh Paul, man, I, I guess we're gonna uh, I guess we're gonna wrap it up here. We've got some great comments in the um, in the chat here. Mike Hopper, Paul B, thank you so much for sharing this insight into your reef keeping. There really are many ways to skin a reef, and Johnny E. Paul is a legend. So, yeah, uh, legend in my own mind. Yeah. So, so Paul, what uh, any any uh, last words you want to uh, share with us? Uh, <laughs> yes. If you start this hobby, if anybody wants to start this hobby, please read everything you can, mm. but 
but don't read it from somebody who's got a tank that he started last Tuesday. I mean, there's a lot of people in this hobby that have been in a hobby for 20, 30 years that have really nice tanks that I'm jealous of. They know what they're doing and they have the uh, ideas. The, the new stuff you're getting from the internet and everything, everybody, everybody rehashes the same old stuff like quarantine. You have to quarantine. You have to medicate. You have to. It, it's not always the right way to go. It's my words of wisdom, if you want to call them that. Gotcha. Natural is the best way to go. Always go natural. I agree 100 percent, man. I agree 100 percent. All right. Well, listen, Paul, man, this was a uh, this was a real pleasure. And I, I uh, really enjoyed this chat. I think everybody uh, that was watching did as well. So I want to thank you uh, so much for, for being on the live stream. And I also want to thank Volkery Supply and Ecotech Marine for being sponsors of this live stream. And, and, and I also want to thank all you folks for uh, for tuning in and, and participating via the chat. Finally, a uh, big thank you to Paul, who is the moderator, as well as the president of the Boston Reefer Society. Please join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so important to this hobby. Um, Paul wanted me to mention that the Boston Reefer Society will be announcing a Joseph A. Um, Benuti, um, known as Salty Old Dog, Memorial Scholarship to the attendees of the upcoming Fragsgiving event on uh, this Saturday, November 12th, at the Topsfield Fairgrounds in Topsfield, Massachusetts. This scholarship will be going towards students pursuing higher education in marine sciences. Joe was not only a longtime member of BRS, <clears throat> but also a pioneer in the marine scene as he was an importer in the late 60s and 70s um, when Captain Coral Care was in its genesis. Joe was the first one to administer new advice to the budding hobbyist, a generous gentleman that would literally give the shirt off his back. Um, he was well ahead of his time and has influenced many a hobbyist and set the course for the Boston Reefer Society as an educational organization. So uh, that's awesome news. I also want to uh, remind you folks about Wrapping with Reef Bum. Episodes are also available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Wrapping with Reef Bum live stream will be on Thursday, November 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Bobby Miller, a.k.a. Humble Fish. So, uh, Paul, you're going to have to tune in, man. and. Uh, you're gonna have to tune in and see what kind of smack he uh, he. Uh, he's gonna throw me under the bus. He's gonna. I don't know, well, you know, I'm 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 sure he'll keep it clean. Um, so that should be another great show. And the full upcoming schedule of guests is on reefbum.com under the YouTube section. Paul, listen, man, thanks again for being on the live stream. Really appreciate it, and um, love to have you on again. So, everybody, uh, be safe, be well, and we'll see you next time.